Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast, the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT to discuss their lives, their journeys and their ambitions with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. And with me, as ever, is Steve Plater. Steve, that's a nice t-shirt. You always say things like that to me. What, pay compliments to you? Yeah. Well, uh, where have you been for the last couple of weeks? Because I've been having to do this all on my own, mate. Mate, I've been busy. Yeah, you know, I know. I've got, I have other jobs, real work to do in life, not just Sunning talk. Sunning yourself up. I've still got my TT tan. Do you know what? Yeah, I, was, uh, I thought yeah. that, yeah. It's lasting well. Yeah, you're looking handsome. Talking of TT tans, I don't know if you saw our next guest, Mike Booth. Did you see his TT uh, tan? Hey, listen, Boothy, I've been watching a lot of his stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I really like the fact that he left his sunglasses on throughout the whole TT. <laughs> and even when he took his sunglasses off, it still looked like he had them on. Anyway, yeah, Boothy's coming up now. It's, yeah, very interesting person. What an amazing, I say an amazing journey, but it's been a rough road for him, but it has been amazing what he's been able to achieve in such a short space of time of having his accident. I think it's well known to most people what happened to him and the fact that he was back at the TT this year, albeit as a, as a radio presenter. Yeah. Huge, obviously back at the TT working and you know, he's so passionate. I don't, I can't see him racing there again. However, he's been busy getting back on two wheels again already as well. Shall we hear from him? Let's get into it. Boothy, all right? I'm really good, yeah. Smashing. So we've had you on the podcast before, but we were chatting just outside. TT preview, weren't it, that you came down more as a journalist rather than a guest? Yeah, yeah. well, I didn't actually come down. I did that from my bedroom, if you Lazy. remember. Lazy, yeah. But yeah, I'm here. I've been invited to the, the studio. It's nice, isn't it? It's all right, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I don't know if you can see. There's some nice flowers over there and some no, plants and stuff. That's not real for a start. Oh, well. I mean, actually, if it was. <laughs> it's like getting locked up. <laughs> What is being in here with me? Yeah. Did I not get the, the code on dress or the dress code? Um, From birth, no, obviously. Um, to be honest, this is the second T-shirt I've had on today because I, I was on the way down. I stopped to pick my friend up at a campsite because we're on the way down to Thruxton after this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's coming with me. And as I got out of the van, a great big pigeon took a shit <laughs> on my, um, or a seagull or something, all down the front. So this is, luckily I had another one in my bag. Um, <laughs> TT this year, twice. Really? Straight down right my forehead. Head. They must like you. It's that circle you've got at the back of your it's head. The it's the only yeah, yeah. birds I'm popular with. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, Booey, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. I don't even know where to start with this one because there's so much to talk about and I don't want to get into nitty-gritty straight away. What do you want to talk about? We can talk about anything. Well, I, how did you get into motorcycling in the first instance? Because, you know, most people will know you now as Booey from 44 Teeth, but prior to that, it was... Fast bikes, right? Yeah, it was fast bikes, but prior to that, it was just a kind of normal run-of-the-mill bike racer. Started racing bikes when I was six, um, and it kind of, yeah, went from there, really. I mean, I never really got to... What did you race at six years old? P-Dub, like it, like every nearly every other six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yamaha, PW50, little off-road bike. Was which... it the white one with the pink seat or the blue one? It was a blue one. Right. I think it had a white seat, actually. But anyway, yeah, it was a P-Dub, and then kind of... I want to say rose through the ranks of schoolboy off road, but I didn't. I kind of just went from an auto to a sixty-five to a an eighty-five, and then when I was thirteen, I was too big for the motocross bike, so we decided we'll maybe try road racing. And yeah, is this a family thing that's been in the? Yeah, my dad raced bikes. My uncle raced bikes. My granddad used to race bikes. Road racing or off road? Bit of both. My dad was half decent at motocross, 
And then was he a proper motocross dad? No, he was all right. He was. He wasn't bad, but there was a lot of um, there was a lot of scary motocross dads. They that used to shout and scream at the kids and smack them over the heads and stuff. My dad was pretty chilled. Like we went racing because we both loved going. I think he sometimes got a little bit frustrated because I was a bit crap, um, <laughs> and I did crash all the time. But uh, yeah, no, it was all right. We just went because. We enjoyed it, and I think, like nearly every other kid that does any sport as a child, you want to be the next world champion, don't you? Like we all do, but um, once I got to, like, 20, I realised that wasn't actually going to happen. <laughs> I kept trying. But <laughs> right up until 20. Right up to about, what, 20, 21. Uh, yeah, it was probably, yeah, early 20s, I thought. Uh, but by this point, I was racing in British Superstock, so I did a couple of years in Stock 600 and then nearly 10 years in Stock 1000. But yeah, halfway through kind of stock thousand at like twenty twenty two, I just thought you accepted. I, I accepted that I defeat. need. I need to ju- yeah defeat. I need to just <laughs> enjoy it. Boo, what came first, your desire to be a world champion without zero racing experience, or did you start racing with no aspirations of being that? And then as you got older, you were like, oh, I want to be world champ. Can't really remember because I started riding that young. Like, so, really? so yeah, yeah, so I was racing when I was six, but before that, I was riding on the garden, like just doing laps right. around the garden on the little P dub. So, yeah, I can't remember when I decided I wanted to be world champion, but probably, probably when I was like 10, which is, I guess, when all kids want to be, they want to, you want to be the best at everything, don't you, when you're a kid? I love it how you say, I decided I wanted to be, yeah, I want to be yeah, world champion. Do, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, I wasn't good enough. But um, hey, you've had a decent career, though. Yeah. And do you know what? Sometimes I think, I didn't make it as a bike racer, but actually, you know, if you look at it differently, maybe I did because I never became a, a full-time professional racer. I never won any massive championships or anything, but I had a lot of years racing at a really high level. I did British Superstock. I raced at the TT. I raced at Le Mans 24 hours. I raced in uh, Dutch superbikes, Spanish superbikes. So I feel like I've I've done a bit, you know, like I'm, I've never won any of it, but like I've had a good go and, and you know, I suppose... Had I never raced bikes, if I'd have looked at my career from outside, I might have thought, oh, yeah, he made it racing bikes. He got to the TT. So, mm. And I've had an amazing time. Like, I might not have become the world champion that I wanted to be, but like I've had 20-odd years of racing bikes, and it's been awesome. Yeah, there's not uh, many people that... Sorry, Steve. There's not many people that can can have their hobby become their career. Yeah, no, you're right, yeah. And you've managed to do that, yeah. Sorry, How Steve. was your 24-hour experience? It was really, really hard because it kept raining and drying up and also so I came in it was I think it was the third stint so it was maybe like five hours in or something like that I was out there in, on wets but it dried up so I came in to get some new tyres because they were absolutely goose these tyres so they put some new tyres on but they hadn't been on warmers and I didn't realise they hadn't been on warmers so pulled out the pit exit onto the track gave it a big handful on Jigsaw gave it a big handful and it just lit up and spat me off chucked me over the top and I broke my scaphoid so so I picked the bike up, finished the stint, rode it back in, and, like, I've broken a lot of bones. And you get to know what it feels like, don't you? So I thought, my, my hand's broken. But I didn't want to tell the team, because I knew if I told the team, they'd say, go and see the medical officer, and then he would probably stop me riding. So I just got my mate, who's a physio, to wrap my hand up as tight as he could with duct tape, popped loads of um, ibuprofen. <laughs> whoa, 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 and, whoa, uh, with duct tape? Duct tape, yeah, it was a bit, because you need it tight, though. You need the pressure on it to hold it, hold it tight. So uh, yeah, we just we just strapped my hand up and uh, I finished. Uh, finished. I mean, it was hard work, but what an experience! Like the the racing through the night and my favourite bit was that stint where it kind of 
about six o'clock in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning, when every lap's getting a bit lighter and a bit more daylight and, you know, you can see more of it. And it's just like, it's like your vision's coming back. You know that thing when you pull a tear off off and all of a sudden you can yeah, see? I think yeah. it's the worst thing. Do you? Yeah, because you get all excited, you're riding today. Thank God for that, we need it. Yeah, yeah. It's nine hours. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Lulling you into a when that penny drops, it's like, oh my good God. (laughs) Is it that bad? Like twenty four hour racing, is it? To be be honest, it's all good fun until midnight and then it just becomes like a real drag. I've never in my life thought I don't want to race that bike. If there's a motorbike sat there, I want to get on it. Yeah. All the time. Apart from at like three in the morning when you've been doing nothing but racing the bike on and off and on and off. Then you get to a point where, actually, I, I don't want to ride that bike. I want to go to sleep. I was I was never like that. Wasn't you? No, I was always positive and, yeah, I think, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know why, but just I was kind of always all right with it and never had an issue, never had an issue with double stints and yeah. wet drive. And you kind of knew how the situation was panning out anyway. Cause, yeah. You know, riding for the factories, there was, there was always a, a race plan as such. Yes, yeah, yeah. set every so often and... No, no, yeah, but hey, some tough times, so many stories. and Yeah, hard work. Yeah. I think... And, and a lot of riders say, I mean, obviously the biggest race, you know, a couple of weeks ago is the eight hour of the season yeah. at World Endurance. 90, I think when I rode there, it was 90-odd percent humidity. It was mentally <sighs> hot, especially the start procedure, is crucifying. You can imagine how hot it is. So you go out, this is Suka, so you go out on, on work your way around to the grid, Walk across the other side of the track, you're messing around, doing all the interviews and everything else, and then this is just the practice. So you run across the bike and go and do a sighting mm-hmm. lap and come back to the grid, get off again, walk across. You're sweating like a flipping lunatic. you got yeah. all sweat and salt in your eyes and everything else, and you've got to go again. Yeah, before you even start. And then riding at the end of your stint, which is probably 55 minutes, full tank of gas, you come back in, you flick the limiter on, coming into pit lane. It's a long pit lane. I've been set light to, but it's the closest I've ever felt, I think, to <laughs> with the, all the heat and the engine coming yeah. down pit lane of, of being on fire. It's yeah. painful, it really is. Anyway, but it, that's a piece of cake compared to 24 hour. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, I don't, eight, care. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, eight hours is a lot different to 24, isn't it? A 24 hour with changing weather conditions, and it's always Easter weekend ish. All that chocolate? No. <laughs> oh. Walk through the paddock at one o'clock in the morning. Often there's frost on the car roofs. Right, all right. So it's still early. Yeah, yeah. The the conditions are so so different. It's Mm -hmm. mental. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good laugh though. At the end of it's a bit like the TT finishing a six lap TT and finishing a twenty four hour Le Mans race. It's the same. You know that sense of achievement. That kind of like like, fuck that's over sort of thing. But like wow, what like what What achievement? uh, What achievement? What have I just done? That's amazing. Yeah, and something that. Well, they're both yeah. endurance. Yeah, exactly. Really. Yeah, but different types. Yeah, different and different disciplines, of course. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's go back to your, the start of your road race career. Then don't kind of like polish okay. over it and just be like, oh, I did a bit, I did a bit of this and a bit of that. So you've still got aspirations to be a world champion at that point. Yeah. You're in what? I started so, at one two five. So I started on um, uh, super teams. Yeah, one two five super teams. So my super team bike was actually Alex Lowe's super team bike. We right. Bought, we bought it off them lads. Oh, dad bought it. Did a couple of years in super teens, and then I was quite tall as a kid, so I was too big for the bikes, really. So mm-hmm. as soon as I was 16, <clears throat> I raced Triumph 675. But it was a real battle at the time, because at 16, you was allowed to race a 600, but the Triumph was a 675. So the ACU were real difficult about it. Eventually, we kind of 
there was phone calls and letters and bits and bobs and, and yeah, we made it happen, but it was a yeah, it was a bit of a pain in the ass, that to be honest. It's a six hundred, it's the same thing, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, same class, just, yeah. Yeah, but um, so yeah, did a season on in the trap in the you know when they had the uh, what would they call it the the triple cup what was it the triumph triumph speed oh, triple three right. speed one make series isn't it? Yeah. yeah it was one yeah, make yeah. series yeah. Yeah. yeah and should remember but it, well, thinking back it was like thirteen or fourteen years ago so. yeah. <laughs> more than that so yeah raced the triumph for a year and then they brought back the British Stock Six Hundred Championship mm-hmm. which they'd had years ago and then not for a few years so yeah they brought it back in two thousand eight I think. So, yeah, it was, it was 2008. So 2008, I went and raced in, yeah, raced that, got a couple of Honda CBR 600s, found a, a guy in the kind of local, well, a local guy called Mike who had a had a few businesses and um, he'd run a guy at club level in a little team and wanted to do something in British and we wanted to go and race at British. So we kind of teamed up with him and he put a bit of a team together, got the bike sorted for us and we did couple of years in stock 600 i say a couple of years in stock 600 i did a year and a half because we got to brands hatch in the second year so this would have been 2009 and had a big crash coming out of druids in the race so druids the second corner it's like a big hairpin on the way back yeah second lap sorry second corner first lap come out the corner give it a big handful of gas and uh, the back end just lit up spat me off Mm -hmm. and um broke my pelvis and well I essentially broke my spine off my pelvis you know where it like fixes on at the bottom so that was kind of me out for the second half of that season which was a bit of a bummer but yeah got that fixed and then again I was getting to a point where I wanted something a bit faster so we uh, yeah for for 2010 we moved to stock thousand so yeah we got a fireblade and um, same little team raced a fireblade in stock thousand I think you was in stock thousand the same Time, Steve. That would have been yeah, 2010. I, was, I think I it was the championship. on a, a HM plant bike. Yeah, I, I lived the championship and then broke my neck. Ah, uh, did you? Did, yeah. Northwest, yeah. Oh, that was daft. I won the first. Brands was round one. Yeah. I won that. Yeah. That record. Oh, and nice. Then, Just showing off that. Which I haven't mentioned anything. Two, two or three races. Not listening, not listening, not listening. I went to Northwest and then broke my neck, yeah. But they also both in the same championship. Yeah, I did. Yeah. People that go into super teams. They always have like riders that they've ridden with who have gone on to, you know, like you hear someone yeah, well, like, like, oh, I used like, to line up with like, Casey Stoner. And... Yeah, people say that about me now. Is, is that is right? I used to race with Boovey. <laughs> uh, I don't know who, who was. So were you the top of the class then? Were you the the, the one that. I, I, no, I, I, I did. I did. I had a year where I was kind of a uh, mid pack. And then I had a year where I was near the front, had a few podiums, a couple of wins and stuff. But I was never. And I didn't win the championship. I think maybe. Maybe did that all right in the championship one year. Must have must have done all right because I won a few races yeah. in what would have been maybe 2006. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm just trying to think who was in the championship. Yeah, did anyone go I on mean, to, to... I mean, I raced with Brad, Brad Smith. He, he was he mm-hmm. was in it. Or right. he, he did a few rounds and then disappeared to Spain. It was weird because he went to Spain and everyone was like, where's Brad gone? Like, we haven't seen him. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's in MotoGP. Yeah. Danny Kent. Mm-hmm. Danny Kent was in there. Danny Webb. Yeah. Loads of lads, you forget though, don't you? Yeah, Do you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You always tend to find that though that yeah that there are quite a few that that rise to the top. Yeah, it was it was a really good class, and same with stock six hundred. Like mm. they're really good classes for you know to bring on the talent of kids. Because when I started stock six hundred, I thought I was alright. I thought I was quite good, but 
I got to that level. I got to British and then I realised, oh, actually, I'm only very average. And if I want to be good and I want to be as good as the rest of the lads here, I've got to step my game up. And that's that's what you, when you're racing with people that are better than you, that's what happens, isn't it? You know, you yeah. go faster and you get become a better rider. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've got a few decent races or, you know, world superbike-wise, you've got some reasonable British talent, although a lot of them disappear to Spain, don't they? Yeah. So when you say you need to step your talent up, how much of it is just getting more track time and how much more of it is it, is it developing? Because there's no real there's no real training to become a motorcyclist, is there? You don't not, go to like a school and learn how to race not, a bike. Not you just country, race no. a bike and you just race and race and race and hopefully the the laps add up to the point where you learn how to, oh, that guy can break a little bit later, I'll try that. Oh, I need to get on the gas a little bit earlier, I'll try that. It's all just self-taught, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I think it helps if you... Uh, it helps if your you, your parents have been yeah. like my dad race bikes. He, he want like you know he was only a club racer, mm-hmm. but he understood how to do it. Yeah, you know. So I got the kind of the basic. He taught me how to ride a bike, and then yeah, just track time. As you, when you're learning to ride a bike, you need track time. You need to learn the feel. And but then there's a, you know the the higher you get and the the better you do, it becomes more technical, and you've got to think more about. What the bikes? It's not just a case of riding the bike; it's a case of developing the bike and setting the bike up, isn't it? And you know, feeling what the bike's doing and being able to, n- yeah, know how to regurgitate that to the lads that are, you know, working with you, and understand what you can do to the bike to make it easier to ride, faster to ride, all that stuff. Yeah. So it's not easy, and it. I think that that's probably well. That is definitely what this country is lacking when you when you look at what goes on in Spain and Italy and stuff. I mean, I, I've been at circuits in Spain. They've got like proper school evening classes for kids of right. all ages, from mini motos to like them metro kits, which are like an eighty yep. cc mm. sort of thing. Just going round and round and round for hours, and they're literally just in a circle, just round in a circle as tight as they can go, crashing on purpose. You know that Marquez thing, just practicing that feel, sliding, crashing, yeah. sliding, and picking it back up for hours. Do you know? And I think if we want more riders at the top, especially in GPs, I think you need a little bit more of that. I'm not saying that's why I didn't get to MotoGP. Yeah. But I think the lads that make it that are British, there's a lot of kind of being in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people, having the right amount of budget, but you've got to be good, you know, to get to that level. So do you feel like you were good enough? Or if you had an unlimited amount of money, or let's say you had more than enough money to get all the best kit, do you feel like you could have gone for... Yeah, was I, it your talent that? I, I feel like I could have gone further. Yeah. I, you, you can never say how far you would have got. Like I, I like to think that I would have won MotoGP championship, but yeah. you, you, you don't know, do you? Yeah. You know, I, I I had some really good good opportunities, and had a few years where I had a reasonable amount of budget behind me to get me where I got to. So I felt like I had a decent bite of the cherry, like not as many opportunities as some people, but a lot more than others. So like, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't feel like I can complain. Like it would have been nice to to have had some massive budgets and like had some really good factory rides, but I had a decent run out, I think. Yeah, but that'll only take you so far, though, won't it? The massive budgets. You mm. still need a talent, right? Yeah, you need natural talent. What asking him for? You, you, need, you need natural talent. <laughs> 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 and, and, and some luck, as well as being in the right place at the right time and on the pace at the right time yeah. to fall into something that, that's kind of not thrown at you, but... Maybe a negative for somebody else becomes a positive for you because you've been fast and on it at that particular point in time. Yeah, 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 true. Mm. But like you say, in your mid-20s, you kind of realise that 
that MotoGP might be a little bit of a yeah, stretch. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. But that's funny because that's when I started actually enjoying racing again because yeah. it, be, it became almost... I mean, it's hard work going racing, you know, racing at British or even club racing and whatever you're doing. You don't just turn up and go and race the bike and go home. You spend all week working as hard as you can to pay for it and then on Thursday morning or Wednesday night you're packing everything up and making sure your bike's in reasonable condition, making sure the truck's filled up with all the stuff that you need yeah. and then you know you get there and you crash the bike so then you're like fucking hell you need to find some spares and it's it's hard work especially when you're like good at crashing like i always was <laughs> so it's hard work so it, unless you're properly enjoying it and getting the reward out of it there's no point in doing it and it got to the point where i because i was putting so much pressure on myself to do well because i wanted to be a professional bike racer i kind of stopped enjoying it a little bit so then when i said do you know what? Forget that. Just go and enjoy it. I started enjoying it. And yeah. that's kind of where, that's where I've been ever since really. Like, and when I was 25, I think I decided I wanted to go and do the TT and never had any aspirations of winning. Cause I think to win a TT, you've got to push probably harder than what I'm prepared to push. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, but I just wanted to go and race there and enjoy riding my bike. And that, that's what I did. So yeah. yeah, it must've been, you know, Starting so young with all that, not maybe not pressure as a six-year-old. I mean, obviously it was, it must have been hard to begin with. You know, living near Hull, you <laughs> obviously went out and and stole your first bike, your PW, <laughs> like, like most people in there. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have been. You know, I can't get my head around that. You know, I started racing very late in life, but I just yeah. can't get my head around being thrown in, or well, not thrown in, but involved at such a young yeah. age and kind of being single-minded enough to come through yeah. a sport at that age. Yeah, I, I mean, I just loved it. When I think about how early I started, I feel like I, I should have been a lot better than I was, but maybe, yeah, maybe I just didn't have the talent, did I? But yeah, I think it's it's, it's, a, it's a great way to... I had a great childhood, like, mm. get brought up racing bikes, round bikes. It, I, had a, I had a mint time, like, a, I didn't feel like there was ever a lot of pressure on myself. Like I said, I think... Who did you look up to? Even when I was motocrossing... Valentino Rossi. Yeah. He was only a kid when he came on the scene, really, wasn't he? But I still just thought it was, there was, even when he was in the, on the little bikes, he, I felt like he was a special rider. Mm. And I liked the way that he, um, he took the piss a little bit, didn't he? Do you know? Yeah, and he, and he, he had fun. Yeah. I just, yeah, I liked the way exactly. So, yeah, it was always Rossi, really. And then even now, even now, I think he's still a big part of, motorcycling isn't he and what he's doing in, in italy with the oh huge with the with the you know with the kind of the, the, what academy. They call it, the academy yeah. yeah and that's why i'm convinced and if you look at banyai look at like Bezzecchi. Bezzecchi. yeah in a few years time motor gp is just going to be like full of italians full of rossi's yeah lads see 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 senor <laughs> because there's no one's interested in doing that over here are they obviously you need to, you need a load of budget so you can't just you can't just put that on you, you know that you need a massive amount of backing for that and no one's really bothered about, or not enough people are bothered about bike racing in, in the UK, are they? You know, when, when you compare it to Italy and Spain. Why? Is that because we don't have the, the Valentino Rosses over here? or I think part of it is because motorcycles are less desirable in a cooler climate. Yeah. It's a, for me, it all stems from the commuting side. Yeah, commuters, there's mopeds everywhere in most central european countries as well as asia yeah. obviously but, yeah. but it kind of you know so that's it's the norm that get, gets them to started get a bike to get about on it's two yeah. wheels to, yeah. you've got to have two wheels to get about from a young age 
you know, for me, it all kind of stems from that, which is a, which is a you know a temperature thing as well as. Mm. I think in this country, motorcyclists have got a, a you know from the from the guys whizzing around on the mopeds to the to the people on big choppers making loads of noise and and street bikes going too fast. They've got like a bit of a bad name in this yeah. country, and people sort of turn their nose up a bit. And so I think it, it it's quite difficult to. I remember when I was racing, I, I felt like there was always a. I wanted, I needed like financial help. We needed sponsorship, and I felt like there was always a, a reluctance to get involved with mm. with something like bike racing. I'd see companies sponsoring the local cricket team or the local football yeah, team, yeah. but they never seemed to want to. Some did, you know. Like I, 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 like I said, I was, I had a little bit of luck and um, had some decent opportunities, but it, I felt like if I'd have been cycling or playing rugby or boxing or something, I, I feel like it would have been a little bit easier. Wrong sport, mate. Wrong sport, yeah. But hey, you can't get a buzz like you can in motorcycling, no matter what you do. I don't think so, no. Especially no. when you've been to the TT as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. It's you can't explain what it's like. Like like we said before, finishing finishing a six lap TT is like nothing I've ever done. And holding a two hundred plus brake horsepower flat out for like a minute at a time. Like how long are you, how long are you on the on the stop for down the mountain mile? Like a minute, just nailed. You can't do that. Anywhere in the world, can you? It's absolutely meant like pff, mental. Yeah. Even on a, even on a, you know some of the circuits with the big long straights. Even though, like I don't know, Spa's got a long straight, and yeah. you know that doesn't feel because it's a circuit and it feels like you, it's designed for that. Yeah, Sulby Straight isn't designed to to do, do what you two hundred mile an hour. Oh, Ricard's probably the biggest mile long. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't feel the same, does no. it? It's different. It's, it's completely different. Like, yeah, yeah, all smooth tarmac. Yeah, no, yeah. no pubs at the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, before we get again, I want to touch on TT, and I, and I want to go to the question that we always ask people about what it feels like to get the tap on the shoulder prior to lining up. But we'll probably get to there shortly because I want to talk about the days of a, of being a journalist. Technically, you, you know, you're still a journalist now, I guess. But once a journalist, always a journalist. Is that it? Yeah, that's what you say. Well, I had I think I had a career in journalism for about this long when I worked for Bike World, and I had to stop because I was like. Every bike that I ever rode, when they were yeah. like, go and review this bike, I'd ride it and I'd go, it's a nice bike. Yeah. They're and then all, I'd jump on something yeah. else. It's a nice... Like, what do you want me to say? It's a they're nice all, bike. Yeah. They're all really good. And the problem is these days, to be critical about any of the modern bikes, you've got to be really nitpicky. Because yeah. otherwise, they are all good. There aren't many crap bikes these days. Some of them are a bit bland or a bit boring. And some of them have got... The brakes aren't as good as the brakes on the equivalent Ducati or the the quick shifter isn't as good as the quick shifter on the equivalent Honda or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like nitpicky stuff like that a lot What's of the time. What's the worst bike you've ridden? Uh, it was a second-hand bike I bought and it had three wheels. It was, it's called a nippy, like a wheelchair-friendly bike. It's got like a lever you pull down and you wheel up in, into it, your wheelchair, you shut the door. It's only driven on one side. So you open the throttle and it wants to, it wants to turn to the left. <laughs> And you shut the throttle, it wants to turn to how, the right. How big an, uh, an engine? Uh, 125. Mm. Yeah. Horrible. If you took your hands off the handlebars, it would just shake itself to oblivion. Worst thing is this in a, the world. Is this a bike you bought after your accident? No, I bought it before. <laughs> I know, imagine that. I, that's not tempting fate. I don't know what it is. <laughs> bought a wheelchair friend about a year before. <laughs> so was this, for, was this for a video? It was, yeah. yeah right, it was okay. a 44 teeth video. That yeah. makes more it was, sense It was now. the uh, Budget Bike Battle of Britain series we did. So but I spent... A couple of days driving it around London, and then we we went out of town and 
uh, Isle of Wight we went to, so a real nice place and beautiful roads to ride your bike around, but I'm sat on this little two-stroke <laughs> thing that won't do more than about 50 mile an hour, screaming its nuts off. I can't let go of the handlebars because it'll shake itself to oblivion. I can't slow... I have to leave a massive gap in front of me because the brakes are that shit. Um, it, was a, it was a laugh, though. It was a good laugh. So talk to me about journalism. Like, how did you get into it? Did you ever want to get into it? it it's funny. Like, I remember when I was young thinking about how I can ride motorcycles um like it, you know it was like a plan b when i was a kid if i can't mm. race bikes as a living is there anything else that i could do that involves racing bikes like maybe a, be a bike journalist or be like a a bike courier or or deliver pizzas or mm. something anything that i can ride bikes so i remember thinking about it but like as a teenager and not doing anything about it not like pursuing it and then i was working in construction and probably would have been about 25 something like that and I was between jobs. The site had finished on. The site I was working on had finished, and I was waiting for another one to drop onto. And I thought, while I'm not working, I wonder if there's any other bits that I can do. And a friend of mine, Bruce Wilson, who works at Fast Bikes Magazine, rang me up and said, "Look, we'd been chatting. We used to race together in Stock Six Hundreds. Right. We've been chatting here and there. And, and he said to me, oh, if you if you've got a couple of days free, why don't you come with us and ride one of our bikes? Because they were doing a big group test, and basically they just needed someone to." ride there was four bikes i think and only two of them so they needed a couple of people to ride along with them mm. and then they would swap over and test these bikes so i said yeah okay i'll do that so i went went along and did that rode all these bikes for a couple of days and at the end of the day he said if you want you can just like write down 100 words what you thought of each bike and we'll stick it in the mag as like a little extra box out i said yeah i can do that yeah if i can remember how to spell and stuff <laughs> so i wrote him 100 words he liked for each of these bikes he liked what i wrote and said, if you want to do some more stuff, you can. And just about that time, Al Fagan, who worked at the magazine mm-hmm. at the time, was leaving to put more time into 44 Teeth, which is which was a website and a YouTube channel that had started a few years before. So Al was leaving, and there was kind of a space for me. So Bruce said to me, do you want to come and work at the mag full-time? And I had a good job anyway that I, that I quite liked. So it was In construction? Yeah, right. yeah. So it took a while to say yes, only because it was going to be different. And I thought, oh, is it going to be a good idea? And you go through all them thoughts in your head. and But then I thought, no, fuck it. It means I can race bikes and or, or at least ride bikes yeah. and get paid for it. And at the time I was racing and I thought, well, you know, racing reasonably competitively. And I thought, well, being in a magazine can't hurt, you know, my chances of racing bikes. So I thought, yeah, I'll do it. So, so I went to work at the mag. I was road test editor there. So I did. I think I did about three or four years there. Is that working from home? I was working from... So I lived in Beverly near Hull at the time. Yeah. And their office is in Horncastle. Morton's. Yeah. yeah. Morton's, yeah. So I was in and out a couple of days. I was like a 60-mile commute. I would usually ride in, and it's that it's that case to road. It's quite a good road to ride, isn't it? So, it's um, one of the best yeah. in the country. Yeah. So that was my commute to work, so it was great. So I worked there for a bit, and then, yeah, Al Fagan, who'd, who'd started 44 Teeth with his mate, whose job I'd taken at Fast Bikes said to me, look, we're growing the 44 Teeth channel. Do you want to come and work for me? So, yeah, so I left Fast Bikes, went and worked for 44 Teeth, and that was kind of, yeah, that was that was how it happened, really. So, I was, yes, worked at 44 Teeth, making videos and stuff for them, and that's who I was, well, whilst I was at the TT, I was doing, making quite a lot of, or whilst I was at the TT racing, I should say, so, mm. last, so last year, I was doing a bit of video, you know, content creation, I think yeah, I like yeah. to call it. Influencer. Yeah, I really don't like to, yeah, yeah. I don't see myself as an influencer, although I suppose 
in a way you could probably well, put me yeah, in the same when you bracket. think back to you writing those words in in fast bike magazine yeah. technically you're you know you're influencing so. people to yeah. make a decision of whether they're so, going to buy yeah. a bike or not yeah. no qualifications at all then in terms of j- journalism, journalism writing no. anything like no, that no 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 nothing. that's 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 amazing yeah have you got any have we got any qualifications? Anything? I'm not taking the mickey. Sounds uh, like you are, Steve. No. Yeah, sort. <laughs> you? Yeah, yeah, I sort of got some qualifications, but not in journalism and not in anything that kind of means anything really. So I just kind of bumble along. Nothing in construction. Nothing in. Yeah, obviously you worked there. For yeah, yeah, I, I, I was. Um, I studied engineering at university and and got a degree, sort of. Well, what do you mean, sort of? Well, you I, have I never. You don't. I, you? I, yeah, I don't actually. You didn't pick it up. Didn't pick. I don't. I haven't got the paperwork for it. So <laughs> I don't. I think I've got one somewhere. I don't. I never actually matter, got it. it. But yeah, yeah. To, be, to be honest with you, no one's asked ever asked to see it ever. Yeah, yeah. So and I've just had to tell them you've got yeah, it. Yeah, just tell them I've got it. Yeah. I was a brickie for ten years. Nobody uh, ever asked me papers ever until Ollie Walls fell off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's gone by then. <laughs> never to be found again. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Shall we wrap this one up for part one? And join us part two when we uh, we can actually start talking about the TT and yeah, uh, and everything that's gone on Why since not, then. Yeah. Cool, great idea. Okay, so we're going to pause the conversation here. There's still plenty to discuss with Boothie. Now, if you want to catch the rest of this episode, it's actually available to watch right now over on TT Plus, or alternatively, hit subscribe on this podcast feed to get a notification when this audio drops next week. IOMTTRacers.com is the place to check out all the latest TT news plus information on how to subscribe to TT Plus for free. Steve, until next time, see you later, mate. Thanks, mate.